0: a question for you guys. Uh, Have you guys ever been to an art museum? You've been to an art museum? I was thinking about an art museum, and for those of you that have been, is it ever weird? Like, there's some weird stuff at art museums. There's some weird exhibits. Like, why are those even there? I was talking with a friend, and we were talking about, like, different art exhibits, uh, and he brought up one that was like, what What even is that? So there's this uh, piano at this uh, museum, uh, a piano, The piano is not normal. Uh, Someone, uh, the one who made it, uh, the art exhibit, grabbed a baseball bat and started to smash the piano, and that's the art exhibit—a smashed piano. What? It's like, why is that even there? That's the weirdest thing. So there's some weird things at museums. And thinking about museums, I remember I was reading this article. Uh, You guys know what the Met is—the New York Metropolitan Museum. I don't know what it was before, but uh, so there's this uh, museum in New York, the Met, uh, and in 1933. Uh, it's a big museum they acquired uh three statues these statues of uh what's called Etruscan warriors so these uh ancient warriors and these statues are eight feet tall they're huge they look big they look really amazing if you see them they got helmets you see them and it's like wow those are cool those uh were acquired in 1933 and they were on display uh for uh 33 years uh, and uh, for 28 years, my bad, they were on display for 28 years and it was in 1961 when they actually found out that they were, they were fake. They were forfeits the whole time. If you could imagine, all the people that saw those statues and uh, they didn't know that they were fake. right? Counterfeits uh, in the museum. Thinking about counterfeits. Counterfeits, phonies, stuff that's fake, um, we don't like. like. We just generally don't like stuff that's not fake, that's not the real thing. Remind me of our passage today because we're going to talk about biblical love, Uh, and we're going to be able to see uh, the difference between what biblical love is and uh, this other type of love, this counterfeit love, a love that's not what the Bible tells us. And I think it's going to be helpful because I think it'd be hard sometimes to be able to distinguish between what biblical love is and what is a counterfeit love. Why? Because they use the same terminology. They use the same language. Uh, biblical love uses the same language as what uh, the world might tell you tell you that love is it's important to think about because if we don't follow the proper biblical love it's actually going to come back to bite us it's going to hurt us first in our thoughts so our understanding of what love is is not going to be the right one and if we're uh, people who want to follow jesus who love the bible we ought to have the right understanding of what biblical love is not only that but as we have our thoughts, that then transitions into our actions, what we do. And so the way we love is going to be wrong. It's not going to be the right one. And then actually what is even most devastating is that you know, we're going to end up feeling uh, empty if we follow the wrong love. And so it's vital for us to follow the right love. If I were to ask you guys, um, how do you define love? L-O-V-E. How do you define love? And also, how would you show love? How would you express love? Think about your answer in your head. What would you say if I were to ask you that question? Because um, the goal today is that I want you guys to know what biblical love is and also to be able to show it properly, to be able to know what it means to express love according to the Bible. And that's why for our passage today, I want you guys to turn to First Peter 1, 22 to 25. So you got a Bible, turn with me, flip to God's word, the end of the, the Bible, First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Verse 22 starts off by saying, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So this passage is talking about love. And just to start, I want to be able to define what biblical love is. So if you guys want to write this down, biblical love is a commitment to the well-being of another person, It's a commitment to the well-being of another person as it's expressed in action. Biblical love is a commitment to the well-being of another person as it's expressed in action. One last time. Biblical love is a commitment to the well-being of another person as it's expressed in action. So if you think about that, it's a commitment to the well-being of another person as it's expressed in action. So biblical love is not emotional. And I'm I'm not saying that love doesn't involve emotions and affections, but here's the key. Biblical love is not driven by emotions. That's not the driving force of biblical love. Emotions can be involved in biblical love but it's not the thing that—that's the the, uh, the key the key thing the thing that starts it. Uh, emotions can come after it, but it's not the, the driving force. the the world, um, the secular world. Maybe your friends at school, if you ask them what love is, usually think of emotion, and usually you think of um, you think emotions first and then action. But the Bible's the opposite. It's action first and then emotion. It starts with your action, then goes to emotion. It's first a decision to say, I'm going to love that person. Love is a choice. It's a decision whether or not feelings are present. If you think about that, it's a choice. The Bible here in 1 Peter is commanding us to love. Just think about that. That's hard. If biblical love is a choice and I have to say, I'm going to love uh, this person, just think about all the the thoughts that, uh, that you would get. That's going to be hard. It's tough. Now, because it's hard, I think it leads us to the conclusion that we're going to need God's help. We're going to need God's involvement in his hand to help us to biblically love other people. That's why for point number one, I just need to, you just need to write that down. Uh, recognize how Christ changes your love. If we're going to love biblically, we need to recognize that God has to be involved in our efforts to love biblically. We can't do it on our own. God has to uh, intervene and help us to do that. So we said that love is a choice. Think of it, love can also be scary. Uh, If I say I'm going to love this person, that means I'm going to open up and I'm going to be vulnerable. Uh, I'm going to tell them how I'm feeling. Right? If I want that person to love me or if I'm going to love someone else, that means I have to open up to that person. And that's a scary thing. It increases the, uh, the, possibili- the possibility of you getting hurt. And so that's why when, we think that, uh, when you think about that, God, uh, that love is a choice, that's why it can be hard. Because that means I have to be vulnerable to this other person and I don't know how they're going to respond. That's a scary thing. They might reject me. They might hurt me back. They might not accept me how I am. And see, that's why biblical love is tough. It's hard. Now, think about all the, maybe all the uh, struggle you might have with the, uh, with the fact that love is a choice. Think about all the reasons that you might give. Maybe all the excuses that we might give to say, I don't want to love that person. I think it all comes down to one thing. It comes down to our own selfishness. I think it exposes that it's all about me. It's all about me and not the other person. Maybe we can think they're, they're going to inconvenience me. Uh, they're going to ruin my plan. I mean, uh, I, I'm planning to go to TNN on Wednesday, and if I'm going to love someone, okay, maybe that involves some other work, uh, something else, right? I'm just trying to have fun and, and just go to normal TNN. But if I have to do something else, that's going to be hard. I have to get out of my, my routine, my plan, out of uh, the friend group that I'm in. That's going to be tough. But I think what that exposes, like I was saying, is our own propensity to want to uh, adore ourselves. But biblical love is the opposite it's not about ourselves. Look at verse 22 with me. Look at the first part of it, where he says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. If you think about that, that just means that since you've obeyed the gospel, uh in, in doing that, in you obeying the gospel, it's almost like you're purifying your soul. Purifying, that's uh, Old Testament language, uh, where God uh, cleanses the sinner as you respond to the gospel. And what he's saying here, Peter is saying that in doing that, once you respond to the gospel, it's almost like now you're enabled. You can now love other people. You've been saved. You've been converted. He's starting there, that he's talking to Christians that are saved. He's saying, since you've been saved, uh, love one another. Uh, You can now love because you have been saved and have also been loved. He starts there, and if you notice... Uh, The second part of 22, uh, for sincerely love, here's the command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's the command. Peter throughout his uh, epistle has been giving us commands. It's interesting because Peter doesn't uh, give us a command without rooting it first uh, in something that has to to happen first. He doesn't tell you to go do something uh, without uh, telling you what should happen before that and what should happen. Well, he says that he's talking to Christians, so people that are saved. And so he gives the command to love after he's saying, because you guys are saved, go out and love. See, the gospel is what purifies our hearts. The good news of Jesus Christ is what washes us. It's what enables us to uh, love differently in in such a way that maybe we've never, ever loved before. I remember I was just talking to someone the other day and um, it was my first time talking to this person and we were getting to know each other um, and uh, he mentioned he was a Christian and then throughout the conversation he also said, uh, which stood out to me, he said, uh, Jose, I actually don't like people. I remember going away from that conversation and just just thinking about that, that statement that um, he told me he was a Christian and I was like, that's great. And then at the end of that, he told me, I actually don't like people. I don't enjoy being around people. I mean, you think of that. Um, it, it, it's hard to believe uh, someone that says they don't like people and yet also uh, professes faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Peter starts with uh, uh, the, the gospel is the, the, the message that purifies you and allows you to, to love other people. First John 4, eight, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So if you've had an encounter with God, with Jesus Christ, it's almost like now you can actually love. When you experience the power of the gospel, the saving news of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like you experience a redefinition of love. A redefinition of love. Like go back to what I asked uh, when we started. Uh, how would you define love? Think of that. Right? That's our initial definition of love when we think of it. Uh, when you experience the gospel, it's like your love, uh, your understanding of love changes. It changes. Biblical love is unique. Uh, write down 1 John 4, uh, 19. It, it grounds it in the fact that you've met Jesus Christ. Uh, we love because he first loved us. And so the Christian now has a reason to love other image bearers. You can't really express the greatest kind of love, at least the one that the Bible tells you to, uh, the, this biblical love, unless you've personally experienced God's transforming love. And so the question is, have you experienced the power of the gospel? In other words, ha- have you responded to the gospel? Have you responded to the gospel? Okay, what's the response? When you think of the response to the gospel, think of a coin. Uh, um, think of a quarter, okay? A quarter, you can't have a quarter without heads or, uh, and tails together, right? You can't just have heads and it's a quarter. You can have both. And so the response to the gospel is that you need both, Uh Uh, Of them. It's repentance and faith. Repentance, that's turning from your sin, realizing that I can't uh, be right with God by whatever I do. Actually, I've done everything wrong. And God, I'm sorry for that. I repent. That means that you turn from your way of living and you say, God, I want to live now for you. And in doing that, the other part is faith. When you think faith, think trust. It's you depositing your trust in yourself and saying, God, I can't be right with you. I'm going to trust in someone else and what he's done, and that's the person of Jesus Christ, that he's lived perfectly for us, and that he's fully satisfied God's wrath for us that was intended for you and me. And you recognize that, repentance. God, I want to live differently. And then you're trusting faith. You're saying, God, I can't be right with you by my own self. I'm going to trust in someone else. Jesus, he did it perfectly for me that's the response to the gospel what what actually happens when you respond to the gospel like what actually happens as you pray uh, what happens if you guys want to write down uh, Ezekiel 36 uh, 25 through 27 Ezekiel 36 25 through 27 uh, it says uh, that you are totally uh, changed you're transformed When you pray that prayer and you ask God that he would forgive you and you transfer your trust from yourself into someone else, God instantly changes you and it's almost like you're rewired internally. You get rewired. In that passage, it says that you get a new heart. It actually says you get a new heart, you get a spirit, uh, um, capital S, Holy Spirit, And then you get a new spirit also inside yourself. You get a new heart, which then causes you to have new desires and new thoughts and new longings. You now want to please God. Do you see then why Peter starts there? That if we're to love people, it first starts with our response to the gospel. It can't be like, hey, go out and love. If I go to town center and just command a person to rant like I've never met them, go out and love someone. They might be able to do it for a little, but in a way that the Bible tells us to love, it's going to be really hard. When you are changed, you're changed from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. That's why it's so hard. You can't just, I just can't command someone to go out and love someone if they have not personally been changed by God inside. It's inside and then goes outside. But it first starts with God doing something in you. Let me just show you why God says if you want to love biblically, it first starts with Him doing something in you. Uh, turn to Second uh, Corinthians 5, uh, 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Uh, Paul in this chapter talking about uh, reconciliation, the fact that uh, we are separated from God, Isaiah 59, 2, that we are separated from God because of our sins. And this chapter here is then talking about uh, this great word, reconciliation, that God reconciles man to himself, that we can now be friends with God, that we were once enemies with God. And then he starts in verse 14 saying, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. He's talking about Christians here now, people who've responded to the gospel but for him who who for their sake died and was raised. What we get in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is new desires, a new life. We now no longer live for ourselves, but we live for God and for God's people. You see why it's so vital for us to start there. Have we responded to the gospel? Have we had a new heart? I talked about uh, different definitions of love, What are some of those different definitions of love? Um, I think of if you were to go right now uh, on like iTunes or Spotify, whatever you listen to uh, your music on. uh, What would you right if you look up love songs? It'd probably be like something about falling in love or right hearts, kittens, teddy bears. I don't know stuff like that. Right? Think like Valentine's Day. That's what we think of when we think of love, right? And I think because our culture does that to us, and um, that's what that's what we think of. But even think about. Falling in love. Just think about the the logic of that. You can't fall into love. If love is a choice, you can't fall in and then somehow like jump out. Love is what? What What's the definition? A commitment. Uh, It's a loyalty to the other person. Just even think about love songs. What is it all about? Right? Oh, this person broke up with me, or I love this person so much because of what they do for me. What is it all about? It's all about me. See, culture will tell you that love is all about you, that it's about how you feel. But what was the definition? That it's the other person, that's the well being of another person. It's you're committed to the well being of another person. You just think about it. Um, you think, I'm not going to love until someone comes and and does something for me, if they come and and love me. If we think like that, we're never going to go and love. We're just going to be waiting uh, for someone to come love us. That's why we have to be the, the first ones to go out and love someone. And that's what I'm saying. It is a hard thing. And yet, God is here to help us. We can't wait to get loved. We have to go and enact that. We have to go Start loving other people. You have to make a decision. Another, I think, wrong way is that um, you might think that love is transactional. Uh, Transaction. Think of when you go to the store, right? I pay five bucks, I get, I don't know, some Twizzlers, right? I get Twizzlers, I I pay five bucks, okay, transaction. I give them something, they give me back something. Sometimes we think that love is like that, where uh, I'm not going to love this person until they love me. Uh, where I I must get something back from them. The thing is that biblical love doesn't promise that we're going to get loved back, and that's the hard reality. It doesn't ever promise that we're going to receive the same, like, oh, yeah, man, I'll totally love you back. No, it might be that they don't want to talk to you, or it might be, yeah, that they don't receive it well. But you see, it's a choice, it's, it's a decision, so I want you guys to commit to that. Biblical love is totally selfless. It's not selfish. It's sacrificial. It's you going out of your way to do some act for another person. It's going to cost you. When you think sacrifice, think of a cost, something that's going to hurt. It might take your time. Uh, it might take your effort. Even Just think about it. Peter starts here for a reason with the fact that... Uh, we are Christians, that you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, think about how tiring it can be to give in to the definitions of other types of love. You waiting to get loved back. Um, or, Or you thinking that it's about emotions. That can be devastating. You can just be waiting and never feel accepted or loved, because you're waiting for someone else to do that to you. But see, that's why he starts with the gospel. What is the gospel? That God showed his love to you. God's love is greater than any other love. Jesus is better than any other definition of love that the world could offer you. And so don't get entrapped into thinking that that you're going to go for some other type of love. Run to Jesus and respond to the gospel. That's what you could do. And that's what you have to do in order to get loved. That's the greatest love there is. It won't leave you empty. It won't leave you feeling empty or fulfilled. Think of, um, I remember uh, someone was at my house uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, we're having dinner. And uh, my sister has a pear pear. Uh, that has Galatians five twenty two to twenty three, uh, and it's it's not a real pair; it's a fake pair. She did it for kidsmen. Uh, so like you guys probably did it too with like a fake pair, and it had like Galatians five twenty two to twenty three, uh, and this person didn't know that it was a a fake pair, and so they just said like, "Oh, why does it have written Galatians five on it?" And I thought it was funny. I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's that's a fake pair." Okay, this didn't actually happen, but let's just say right we're having dinner, and let's just say we're having steak that night. Okay, uh, we're having nice juicy rare steak right that's how I like my steak uh, okay let's say we're having that and uh, let's say I never told uh, that person about the fake pear which thought it thought it was real okay and so you, uh, let's see you got two options right here okay you got this fake pear and then you got this juicy steak all right what I'm saying about biblical love is that it's like the steak what happens if you take a bite out of the fake pear He's going to be like, what? There's nothing there. It's not even real. But if you take a bite out of the steak, it's fulfilling. There's actually something there. There's sustenance to that. Biblical love is just like that. Don't go for phonies, for counterfeits. Don't go for the fake pair of love. Go for something real. Biblical love. And that's God's love to you in the gospel. And that goes for all of us, Christian or non-Christian, Don't go for some other phony type of love. Jesus totally changes the way we view our love. It changes uh, the way we love. So, not only does it change us, but it changes uh, the way we love other people. It changes the way we show it. That's where point number two, simply, I just want you guys to uh, love others biblically. Love others biblically. uh, Look at Verse twenty-two, back in our passage in First Peter. The second part of it starts off by saying, uh, "Love one another earnestly from a pure heart." Uh, before that, he says, "For a sincere brotherly love, sincere, think, um, uh, genuine, something that's real, like for real, for real, like something that's actual, uh, actually there." He's saying. Honestly, love people. Uh, I think of uh, Romans 12 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Genuine. That has uh, a word that has to do with not being uh, a hypocrite. Hypocrisy, right? Putting on a mask. That passage is saying, uh, love uh, with uh, truth. Love the other person genuinely, honestly, and sincerely. He goes on to say, uh, love uh, sincerely. Uh, with a, a brotherly love, a brotherly love. That means that you would have a genuine care for other brothers and sisters in Christ here at church, that you genuinely care for them. Uh, quoted Romans 12.9, uh, Romans 12.10, uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's the type of love that you would understand that um, if if God If God has saved people, he's put them into his body. That means there's other members of the body that are with you here right now. There's other people uh, that God is telling us to love. So think of the church as uh, a body, as a family, a family. Even think of your own family. Uh, How many of you guys have brothers and sisters? Sweet. How many of you guys argue with them? Right? It's like all of us. Okay, think of when you argue with them. Like, think of the like, worst argument you've had with them. Like, man, that was really bad. Do you still love them? You still love them. Even though, man, like, we, that was pretty bad. You still love them. Peter is saying the same thing. We ought to love our brothers and sisters the same way. Even though maybe we don't get along with them, or maybe we've had an argument with them in the past, he's saying love them like your brothers and sisters in your actual uh, blood family. Love them just like that. When I ask the question, uh, do you love the church? Do you love the church? What comes to mind? Is it the building? Is it 120 East? Is it uh, the new uh, construction that's going on over there uh, in our uh, here at Compass? Is it West? Is it 140? What comes to mind when I say that? The church, when I ask that, it's people. The church is people. Do you love people? God's church. Even think of that. Not just like people here in the narrow, right? We're here in the narrow. I'm talking about everyone in our local church. Do you love people in our church, right? Um, Do you love the Edgers, right? Do you love uh, the uh, kids in Owana? Do you love the kids and uh, kidsmen? Do you love uh, the random person that you might see out on the patio as you're getting your cookie? Do you love people in your local church? If you're doing this, then great. That's awesome. Now, think about personalities. Do you love the awkward?s right? There's a lot of us awkward here. That's me including, right? I'm one of those do you love the awkwards in, here in the narrow, here at our church? right? Not. What I'm saying is don't look at the way that they are. Love them. Love everyone. Love is completely others' focus, right? And so it shouldn't even, yeah, it's, it's completely others' focused. It's about the other person. It's not about us. It's unconditional, and so it's not based on uh, what this person might say to me, or you know what, they actually really hurt me. Yeah, they, they might have, but it's unconditional. That's Think about that. That's what God's love was for us. Think about all we did to God and our, we're doing to God. We're rebels against the holy God, and yet God, in his unconditional love, wasn't like, oh, I'm not going to love them. He completely loved us by providing a way to salvation. He goes on to say that we should love one another earnestly. Uh, When you think earnestly, think of when you stretch a muscle or when you strain a muscle. Uh, Think intensity and duration, something that lasts for a while. Um, What Peter is getting here is uh, think of like, um, uh, think of like, have have, uh, any of you guys run a marathon before? That's a lot of you guys. Yeah, a marathon. Think of a marathon. Like, What do you need to run a marathon, right? It's different than if you run like a 100-meter dash. It's different. You need intensity and duration. It takes a while. It's going to be, you're not running super fast, but you're running fast for a while. It takes endurance. What Peter is getting at here is that love is just like that. It's not a one and done. It's a thing that lasts. It's a thing that uh, ought to endure. It should go on for a while. He's saying, uh, Stretch your love. Think about that. Stretch your love. Think of it like, like silly putty. You guys know what silly putty is? Yeah. Think like silly putty. Something that can stretch out far and wide. Stretch your love just like that. Right? Don't think like, oh, I have a certain limit. No, get stretched in your love. That's what Peter is saying here. All right, how can we do this? How can you stretch your love? Well, as you walk into TNN, I think a good mindset to have is, I want to look at other people as more important than me. If we think that, that's biblical love. That's the first part. You, with your mindset, thinking that. That I'm not the most important person here at TNN. I should not get all the attention. It's about others. Love is about others. So ask yourself that. Do I think that? Okay, so what would that actually look like? Well, maybe it looks like you talking to new people right? Someone you never talked to before. Uh, maybe someone that, that's been there all the time, but you just notice they don't have like a gigantic group like you might have, right? Maybe they're just by themselves. Go talk to that person. That's what love is. You see how it's, you're thinking about it, and then you actually go and do something. You're actually doing something. That's what love is. It's willing to put your preferences, uh, your reputation, right? Maybe it's like, okay, yeah, I got my squad. Like, I got my friends here, Right? It'd look kind of weird if I go talk to this random person. I've never talked to you before, right? That's your reputation, and you're putting that uh, to the side, even if you don't know him. Uh, look at your conversations. Just think about your, your conversations this past week. How significant are you in your conversations? How much is it about like, you and us and not about the other person? What does that tell us? Who is it about? Is it about me or about the other person when I talk to someone? Right? It doesn't have to be someone new, just like with your friends. If you're friends, right, a friendship is that you would love the other person. And so, yes, it's, it, it is about you. Right? You can talk about yourself. But how much do I actually like, want to listen to the other person? You're putting their needs, their preferences above our own. Even th- think of small groups, right? TNN, think small groups. How can you most love someone in small groups? Right? This might take a little thinking. How can you most do that? Well, maybe it has to do with how I'm like, behaving and how I'm doing in small groups. Right? If someone's talking, maybe it's like, okay, I'm going to wait until they finish their thought or I'm going to be quiet right now right? for these 30 minutes and I'm going to treat this like, a, uh, like small group time. Like this is important. Right? If we love other people, that's what it's going to be. Right? I want the other person to talk. Even though I want to talk right now and it's like, oh man, I want to talk so bad, I want to talk so bad. But it's like, okay, let the other person talk or don't interrupt. You see, those are like small ways that we can love other people. But th- that's loving other people. I mean, think of sermons, right? Anywhere that we're sitting, right? the way that we're behaving totally affects other people. And so even think of that, that's small, right? If I like, yeah, think small things being quiet in certain places. That would love other people. If, you're, it's, if it's a commitment to the well-being of another person, that's what it would be. Right? You guys seeing how biblical love is like, man, this is not comfortable. Like, This is hard. This is not about like, how convenient it is. Talking about convenience, uh, reminds me of uh, John 13, where Jesus is uh, washing the, the feet of the disciples. Who was the disciple that uh, betrayed Jesus? Judas, right? Um, who was... Uh, did Jesus wash all the disciples' feet? Including who? Judas. Judas. I want you to think about that. What was... If you guys are familiar with that passage, what happens after that in John 13? He tells them that one betray him. Yeah. Who was that? That was Judas. Jesus was washing Judas's feet, knowing that he was going to betray him, and yet would still love him. That passage is all about love, how we can actually express our love. Jesus was washing uh, his enemy's feet and knew that he was going to betray him and go to the cross because that guy was uh, going to betray him. He was scrubbing his feet, knowing that. Even just think of that. But a lot of the time right? Our preferences, Preferences. it could be that I'm just going to hang out with my friends that I know, that go to my school, that like the same things, that dress the same, that like this is my squad, like I've always been buddies with these people, right? This is like my girl squad, like I'm not going to go out of my bubble and like go out and talk to other people. But see, if love is that, that would mean that we actually go out of our way and do something, If Jesus could do that, why can't we do something so small as that? Right? And of course, it's normal to have like friend groups and right inside jokes and like you got your buddies, you got your people. Right, that's normal. But even think about okay, you got your friend group. Right, think of all your friends. How can your friend group as a, as a whole go out and love someone else? Okay, maybe don't go like 10 in a pack and like go like swarm some one person. Maybe go in, like a pair or like three, but you can go love someone by having your friend there. You don't have to go alone, right? Maybe this is a scary thing, but go as as with your friends. You can do that. Right? Help each other, and love the weirdos. Like I don't, I just remember being in middle school and like thinking like, oh, there's like these weirdos and like I was one of them and like I don't know like people didn't talk to me and like no 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 love like the weird people. Like we're all weird. Love the weirdos, right? That's, one, that's me. I'm included in there. Remember, it's, it's a commitment to everyone's well-being. And so it's not based on how we act or who we are. Think of someone that has a need, right? Maybe someone that's lonely or sad right now or that's going through a hard time. Think of that person. You could love them. But see, that would, that would mean you're going out of your way to do something. He goes on to say that uh, this comes from a pure heart. Uh, so he's saying, l- don't love in a way that's like begrudging and like, oh, you have to love. He's saying, no, don't do that. Love uh, from the inside, something that you actually genuinely feel. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, the difference between when I go to Chick fil A and McDonald's drive through. Chick fil A is like, uh, hi, how can I take your order? Like, my pleasure. McDonald's is like, hi, how can I help you? And it's like, whoa, like, Like I want to feel appreciated that I'm there. Like, like I'm gonna get your food. Like I want to feel like I'm loved. Chick-fil-A's like that. And what I'm saying is, like, we have to be genuine. Like the Chick-fil-A, right? Not like the McDonald's. Be genuine. Be real. From a pure heart, from the inside. Don't be fake with it. It's got to come from the inside. And the way to do that for that actually to happen, for you to be compelled from the inside that it would go outside, is what? It's the gospel. As you think about the gospel, as you think that you deserve God's wrath, and yet God would love you, why can I not go love this person? See, it always comes back to the gospel. As you think and treasure the gospel, that's going to fuel your love. when you think of the gospel, it's not like, like, what have we done? We haven't done anything. We sinned against God. Right? It's, it's not like uh, God saw us and like we were this cute teddy bear and like, oh, like come hug me. No, like we were, we were terrible against the holy God. Right? We weren't attractive to him. We were ugly. We are ugly. He did that for us. So who can we now go show love to this week? And how can you do that? How can you go out and love this week? Maybe you're thinking, like, sometimes in sermons this happens where it's like, all right, like, I get it. Okay, maybe I need to go love. Feel a little pumped up right now. Let's go love. Usually what happens is, like, uh, think of it like when you're uh, uh, putting air into, like, a, a bike, right? You're pumping up um, uh, the, the tire of a, of a bike. Think of it like that. It's only for, like, after a sermon, you might get motivated for, like, like 30 minutes, an hour maybe. Maybe the whole day. But how are you going to ensure that that's going to last? How are you going to make sure that okay, this motivation that I have right now to go love someone this week, okay, maybe just one person, how am I going to do that this week? Like, how am I going to make sure that that actually lasts? Look at verse twenty-three. It says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, and then he quotes. Uh, Isaiah 40, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. See, God's truth found in God's word is what is going to keep us going to love. That's why point number three, I want you guys to write down, see how God's truth keeps your love going. See how God's truth keeps your love going. Uh, Peter here touches on being born again. That's just uh, another way to say that you have been uh, made new by God through the gospel. You have a new birth. He quotes that. Um, it's from John 3. What he's saying here, it can be a little confusing, but he's just saying that you've been given new birth if you're a Christian by this seed that he talks about, this uh, imperishable seed. Seed, if you think about it, just gives, seed gives life seed gives life. So what he's saying is that God has a seed that gives you new life. What's the seed? He says that it's the living and abiding Word of God. Abiding, that means remaining, something that lasts and is permanent. That's God's Word. That's the seed that God uh, implants in you and gives you to give you new life. Um. Just think about it. If, if God never dies, God's word never dies. That's his uh, breathe out word. And so, if his word never dies, that means it lives. It will never die because he lives. And so, the seed that is now in you will never die. And so, you will never die. You won't fade or decay. That's what he's saying, that you're saved by God's word. And so, God's word, what he's talking about here, is is two things. It's God's revelation of himself, which, the big word, that just means the Bible. God has revealed himself and shown to all you guys here in the narrow, this is who I am through this book. And then it's also, specifically, the saving message of the gospel. And so it's his word, the totality of the 66 books in his divine library, and then his saving message. So to understand this, where it says all flesh... Flesh think humankind. Humankind. It says all flesh is like grass, okay? Like grass, okay? Just imagine when you see grass, right? You go outside, you see grass, it's like, okay, that's just grass, like whatever. You see a flower, your response is a little different. It's like, oh, that's a flower. That's actually, that's pretty, that's nice, right? That's different than grass, right? Flower is like, okay, that's much higher than grass. So there's something about a flower that is more glorious, as the passage says. There's. It's beautiful. Grass is like, eh. Think uh, flower, like, wow. Think like that. Something that's common is like grass. Flower is like something that's uncommon. That's what Peter's getting at here. So the point is, is that everything that's created, mankind, and everything that God uh, has created, is something that's like, it's all going to die. right? Whether it's like grass, where it's like, eh, Or, wow, that's awesome. It's all going to die and decay. So think about that. Think of like the strongest human you could think of or the most beautiful person you could think of, the smartest person you could think of. All those people are going to what? They're all going to die. We're all going to die. And that's what he's getting at. That there's a difference between uh, being uh, perishable and imperishable. And the only way that you're imperishable is through God's seed, His Word in you. Think of the, the flower uh, that man can do. Right? Think of like the greatest technology uh, that we can produce. Right? Maybe like AI. Stuff like that. Just any technology. Social media, right? That's a good thing. It, it's a lot of, it allows us to now like talk to a bunch of people. Uh, game consoles. I don't know, stuff like that. Right? That's like, whoa, like, man didn't have that like years ago. Now we have that. That's, that's amazing that we can do that. Phones. That's all going to die and decay. That's what he's saying. See, the point is that if we're Christians, we're not going to fade or decay. Why? Because we've been saved by God's word. We've been saved by God's word. Do you believe that the actual gospel can save you, can make you uh, from an enemy to a friend of God, can transfer you from the kingdom uh, of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son? Romans 1.16, uh, It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God in the, in, uh, in the gospel. Salvation. It has the power to change your eternity. God's word does. Found, uh, his truth found in his word. Think about that. Your eternity. and It's not only to save you, but it's also to, um, to, to do what? To make you more like Jesus. His word does that. It has the power to do that. Think of 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's the purpose of God's Word, that it would correct you, it would reprove you, it would train you. Uh, Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of of the heart. God's word uh, is living. The Bible is a living book. Think about this. It fully understands you before we ever can fully understand it. That's why when you open God's word, sometimes it's like, wait, wait, wait. like That's how I'm feeling right now. Like, Why, why am I feeling conviction? It's because God's word is a living book. God speaks through his book. See, God's Word only works in you as you actually put, like, your eyeballs on it, right? It's not just going to do it as, like, it's closed. As you regularly study it, uh, read it, observe it, that's how God changes you. Uh, he does both to save you, it's the power of God, and to salvation, and then it's also to make you more like Jesus if you're already in Christ. And so you want to be a loving person? Be in the Bible, Be in God's Word. That's where you'll you'll be reminded of God's love as you read in the Gospels of Jesus and what He did, as you read in the Epistles of Paul and what He did for you. That gives fuel to your own love. If we understand the power of God's truth, we're going to be able to sacrifice just a little bit of time to open our Bibles. But see, it doesn't happen until we actually understand what actually happens when I read God's word? It has impact on me. This book can change your life, and not only now, right now, but for the rest of eternity. Uh, I remember I was uh, watching a video of a half-marathon in Philadelphia. It's a couple years ago that this was happening, and uh, this video was of this lady who was uh, about to cross the finish line, right? She was pretty close. And uh, the video was hard to watch because this lady was, like, she was dying. Like, she had, it looked like she had a rough time, right? Half marathon, that's a lot of miles, right? She was, like, dying. Like, she was falling over. And so two runners come up behind her and hold her arms and help her to sort of run. Like, she was, like, still, like, like dying. And so she was, like, running like this. And so she's having a rough time, and, like, she, like, kind of, she, like, falls. And so another guy comes back. It seems like from the finish line comes and picks her up, holds her, and brings her to the finish line. I want you guys to just think about, what did that guy miss out on? The guy who came up uh, uh, and and picked her up. Maybe his time, right? Maybe the guy was actually trying to run like a fast half marathon. His time, he didn't care about that. Uh, His own pain, right? The guy was probably in pain, right? Just ran a bunch of miles. He came up and did that to her. He did what? He genuinely cared for her. He, he genuinely had love for her. How can we do the same this week? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that your word is so clear and it helps us to uh, know uh, the truth of what you revealed. I just pray that uh, you'd help us to love people uh, better this week, that you'd give us fuel through your gospel as we respond to it and as we think about uh, how much love you've deposited into us. Help us to be people that you're pleased with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.